Thanks, Karen, for sharing that uh, testimony. I, I really like the part of your story where uh, you were on the way home. You were leaving the retreat. It was all said and done, and that's where God really showed up and, and spoke to you and ministered to you and, and helped you to really uh, experience his grace. And, um, you know, oftentimes uh, we uh, have such high expectations of how we think we should encounter God or experience him in our lives, and we're let down when it doesn't happen the way that we want. But her story is another reminder that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, uh, but God is faithful, and uh, he will not leave us hanging. He will not leave us to ourselves. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Uh, last Sunday, Hojin started us on this Advent series. Uh, Advent is the season in the church calendar where we uh, prepare, where we uh, are expecting the coming of Christ. And that's what Advent literally means, to wait, to await the coming of, of someone important or significant, an, an event, uh, something to happen. And so every year the church, uh, beginning with the four Sundays prior to Christmas, um, positions itself in, in a posture of expectation, of waiting uh, for the return of the King. And we remember the birth of Christ, but we look really uh, forward to the ultimate final coming of Jesus Christ uh, to end all time, to end all pain, all sin, all weeping, uh, and to bring full healing, restoration, and salvation uh, forevermore. And uh, today we look at the candle, the second candle, which is lit of preparation. And to do that, I'd like to uh, read from Luke chapter 3. If you have a Bible or um, if you're on your phone, on your app, turn to Luke chapter 3. And uh, we'll read just a few verses together and jump right into this. Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 2, it says, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Before we keep reading here, I just want to point out that significant phrase in verse 2. The word of God came to John. Now what you have to know here is that the last time this has happened, that the word of God came upon a man or a woman, was back about 500 years prior, 460 years ago, before John, there was a prophet named Malachi. And the word of God came to Malachi, and Malachi spoke to God's people. But since the time of Malachi, for the 460 years since, God has been silent God has not spoken to his people. There has not been a single word. And now for the first time in 460 years, the word of God comes to John. And he goes into the country, the wilderness, around, around the Jordan, and preaches a baptism of repentance. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. And all mankind will see God's salvation. This is the word of God. Can we pray one more time? Father, as we uh, examine your word, as we come before uh, Luke and uh, listen to uh, his account of the birth of your son, of our Savior, Lord, may we be captivated again um, by uh, the way in which you come into this world, by the way in which you come into our lives, in the way that you show up. For, Lord, sometimes you meet us in dramatic fashion, 
And sometimes it's simply on the way home. Uh, But Lord, you are with us. Uh, You are present. You are here. And so, Lord, may we uh, open up our hearts, our minds, our ears, our eyes to receive uh, your voice, to receive your presence, to receive uh, this message anew. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we are actually 17 days away from Christmas. Did you know that? Does it feel that way for some of you? Um, 17 days from Christmas. And I remember growing up as a kid, uh, the days and the weeks leading up to Christmas seemed to be the longest days and the longest uh, weeks of the entire year. Um, Because of the anticipation, I couldn't wait for Christmas. Um, And uh, then when I became an adult and somebody told me Christmas was around the corner, I'd panic. You know, I would get afraid. Uh, and and my, uh, my attitude or my disposition toward Christmas uh, has changed so much. And how many of that uh, for you is that true? That the way that you view Christmas now, the way that you look to it has changed. Let me ask you this. How many of you growing up, your parents were the kinds of parents that bought your Christmas gifts, uh, but they would hide them around the house and not put them under the tree? How many of your, your parents did that? Did anybody's parents do that? Some? Some? All right. How many of you, uh, for those of your parents that did that, you would look around the house and you would try to find those Christmas gifts? All right. How many of you? All right. I still see some hands. How many of you were the type that you would find those gifts and you would actually take them out and you would play with them before Christmas? How many of you? I still see a little bit of, okay, all right, some people, rebels here. How many of you uh, actually uh, found those gifts, took them out, played with them, and accidentally broke them, uh, and then put them back in, and then on Christmas morning you were surprised, but it's broken. How did this happen? How many of you did that, right? I was the kind of, my parents, they didn't hide gifts, they just put them under the tree, Uh, but I would, when they weren't home, I would peel off the wrapping paper, and I would look inside. I never opened the gift, but I couldn't wait to see what it was. And I think that's why uh, most of us, when we were children, when we were younger, were so excited about Christmas because there was this eager expectation, this anticipation that we were going to get to open presents, that we were going to get surprises, that we were going to get that thing that we had been wanting for weeks or for months or, or that everybody else had but me. And now that we're adults and, and, and we don't view the holidays or Christmas that way, we don't have that same kind of expectation. But do you still feel that way about life? Maybe not Christmas, but about life. That there's more to life than you're actually experiencing and you don't know what that is and you're yearning for it and you're longing for that something significant, that something special to happen. And you're reaching out and it's beyond your grasp. You haven't experienced it yet. You're trying so hard. You want it to happen. And you begin to ask yourself these questions. What's the point? What am I waiting for? Why not give up? Why not give in? And I think oftentimes we might ask ourselves that same question about our faith. Why do we go to church? Why do we pray? Why do we worship? Why do we give our time? Why do we give our money? What's the point? What's it leading to? What's going to be at the end if I continue to hold out and wait? 
Did you know that for thousands of years and for hundreds of generations, God's people would wait every single day of every single week, of every single month, of every single year for God to show up to send a Messiah, to send a Savior. And for thousands of years and for hundreds of generations, God's people would turn away. They would give up. They would lose hope. They would wait and they would wait and they would wait and then they couldn't wait any longer and they would just give in and they would forget. They would give up on God, essentially. They would turn to the left or to the right and they wouldn't follow the Lord. And the reason why some of them, the remnant of them, would wait every single day of every single year is because they were holding out on a promise that God had made to Abraham back in Genesis 12. That God would bless Abraham, that God would make his family great, that he would make him into a great nation, that everyone that would bless him would be blessed and everyone who would curse him would be cursed, and that all the earth would be blessed through his seed, through his family. And that was the hope. That was the Messiah, the Savior, that hundreds of generations of God's people were holding out hope for. And yet many of them would give up. And then we come to the Gospel of Luke, and he tells us now that John is on the scene, and he is here to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, for the coming of Jesus. But to really understand this, I think we have to understand where John also came from. And so let me tell you his story in brief. It it starts in Luke chapter 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So John's parents were Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they happened to be uh, this come from a long line of priests and worship leaders. They were descendants of Aaron. Essentially, they were like uh, pastor's kids, PKs, as you call them. Right? They came from a long line of pastor's kids. Both of them were pastor's kids. They came from a long line of pastor's kids, and they were both upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and all the regulations blamelessly, okay? Why? Because they were pastor's kids, right? Uh, this past week, I went to school, and uh, my wife and I met, met with uh, our, our, our children's teachers. We had parent-teacher conferences. And, uh, you know, we went to uh, Jacob's classroom. I think Jacob might be in here, so hopefully I'm not going to embarrass him too much. Uh, but we went to talk to Jacob's teacher, and she was just explaining some of the things that he was working on and how he was developing in math and reading and science and things like that. And then she told us a couple stories about him and his behavior in class. And she told us this story how the class was uh, getting together in small groups, and their project was to create a winter acrostic poem. And on these kids would get together in groups of two, three, four, and five, and they would choose a word like Santa, and they would create an acrostic poem. Santa stands for uh, surprise, uh, um, awesome, uh, um, new gifts. You know, I, I mean, I'm just on the fly. I'm freestyling here. All right, um, that's what they were doing. They were creating these acrostic poems, and uh, but but Jacob. Um, didn't want to be in any of these groups, and so he did his own project, and for his winter acrostic poem, he chose the name Jesus. And in that moment, I was like, oh, yeah, just, just like something, I was like, oh. I was like, I'm, I'm so touched. <laughs> That's so cute. And then as a teacher is telling the story in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, hold, hold on a second. She's probably thinking, pastor's kid, 
pastor's kid going to choose Jesus. Holy, righteous, pastor's kid. And I'm thinking here, oh man, is that the stereotype? The pastor's kid is choosing Jesus. And uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah were pastor's kids. But on top of that, they were upright in the sight of God. I don't know if any of you here are pastor's kids or you know pastor's kids. There's two kinds of pastor's kids. There's good ones and there's bad ones, okay? The good ones went to church every Sunday. They read their Bibles. They prayed. They were the ones that were the presidents of their youth group. Uh, They would play the guitar, right? I mean, the good ones. And then the bad ones. Some of you are here, I bet, right? That's why you're laughing. They'd be the ones that'd be like smuggling cigarettes at the retreat. They'd be sneaking into the girls' room at the lock-in. You know, they'd be the one that'd be shaming their father in the pulpit, right? I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. But not Zechariah and Elizabeth. They observed all the Lord's commandments. Do you know how many commandments that is? That's over 600 commandments and regulations. And they did it blamelessly. If you were to hire a private eye to follow Zechariah and Elizabeth and to to take uh, 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 evidence of their lives, you wouldn't come up with any dirt. They were blameless. They were upright in the eyes of God. Why? Why were they blameless and upright? Why were they righteous? Because they believed in a promise that God made to Abraham, their ancestor, 2,000 years before they were born. 2,000 years before Zechariah and Elizabeth were born, God made a promise to Abraham, and they were holding on to that promise to follow God, to obey his commands, because they were waiting for a time when God would ultimately bless the world through Abraham. And so every day, they would wait but they would wait patiently. They would observe all of God's commands. They would live blamelessly because they were waiting and waiting. And maybe it'll come in our time. Maybe it'll happen in our time. And for 2,000 years, people would wait. A remnant would always wait. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Wow. Look how far that got them. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous. They were upright. They were blameless. They followed all of God's regulations and commands. And this is God's reward. This is how God treats them. You shall have no children. You shall not have an heir. You shall not give birth to your own Messiah. You see, the firstborn son oftentimes was considered the Messiah because he was the one who would grow up someday to take care of their parents. He would be their savior, their redeemer. But they had no children. On top of that, they were well along in years. Is that how God treats his people when they are upright, when they follow all of his commands? On top of that, you have to add at that time that in the culture, they believed that if you couldn't have children, that you were cursed by God. They didn't understand infertility. They didn't understand that there could be complications in giving birth to children. And so they simply believed, and there was this religious stigma, that if you didn't have a child, you were cursed by God. But if you had many children, that you were loved by God and you were blessed by him. And almost all the time, that blame would come squarely on the woman. 
Because at that time, the woman wasn't really educated. It wasn't like she had a voice in society. Her recognition and dignity came from her ability to have a family, to give birth to children. It was a big deal. And so, therefore, Elizabeth was shamed. She was disgraced among her people and her community. And yet, despite the fact that they weren't able to have children, every day they held to that promise and they lived blamelessly in the eyes of the Lord. The story goes on to tell us, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Anytime you see an angel, you should be afraid, right? But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Oftentimes, when things aren't going the way we want, we automatically deduce that it's because God is not listening to our prayers. I love that line. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. I'd love to hear that every once in a while, wouldn't you? You're praying for something, for someone something to happen or for someone uh, to uh, be healed or to to have success or, or, or something. And you've been praying and praying and praying. You feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling or they're not even getting off the ground. I'd love to hear that every once in a while. Eugene, your prayers have been heard. They're being processed. We've received them in the mail. And we'll get to it in just a moment. Hang on for a minute. Wouldn't that be encouraging? If you could hear from an angel or hear from God, your prayer has been heard. God knows your need. He feels your pain. He knows where you are. And he hasn't forgotten you. This angel shows up to tell Zechariah that his prayers have been heard. As a result of that, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you are to give him the name John. Now, it doesn't tell us this, uh, but uh, Zechariah has some doubts, right? Uh, He doubts this news because he's well along in years, which means he's beyond the age where he can physically give birth to a child. It's kind of like as if Zechariah is saying, okay, I was praying this when I was in my 20s and in my 30s and in my 40s, and I kept praying into my 50s. You're a little late, angel. (laughs) It's like we can't have children anymore. And because of his doubt, Zechariah was not able to speak when he came out of the temple. And so when everybody saw him and he wasn't able to speak, they said, oh, he's encountered an angel. He's come across face to face with God. And that's what happens to Zechariah. And the angel says to him, your son, he, John, will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. Remember, for thousands of years and for hundreds of generations, people have left the Lord. 
They've been waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. They've been waiting for God to show up, and he didn't, and he hadn't. And for the last 460 years, God hadn't even spoken a word. And for the whole 700 years in that time, nothing had happened. The nation had been destroyed. The temple had been destroyed. And now the people were waiting for something to happen, but now the Roman Empire was the greatest empire in the world, and the Jews had now become a remnant. Last week, Hosian uh, was talking about Isaiah where they were considered to be a stump, a tree that had been cut down, nothing left, no hope, no life. That's how they felt. They felt like a stump in the wilderness. What can come of us? And so many of them fell away. Many of them gave up. Many of them lost hope. But not Zechariah and not Elizabeth. They remained faithful and upright. And this angel comes to tell them that you will give birth to a man named John, to a boy named John, and he will prepare the way of the Lord. He will preach a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He will bring many people back to God to prepare them to receive their Messiah, the fulfillment of their promise. You see, back in Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham and says, hey, go where I'm telling you to go, and I will make you great, and I will bless the world. So Abraham leaves his home, and he goes. And Abraham has kids, and he has a son who has a son who has a lot of sons. And their family begins to grow, and, and they become this huge family, this huge clan. And then there's this famine that, that strikes the land that they're living in, so they have to go under the shelter and the, the protection of Egypt. So they live in Egypt. But then God finally says, okay, it's safe to go back home. So they go back home and they're back in the land that was promised to them and they've become a nation, but now they become a kingdom because they now enthrone their own king. Every nation had a king, so now the Israelites had their own king. And then they had the greatest king that ever lived, David. And David's son was Solomon. And during the reign and time of Solomon, the nation of Israel was at its peak, was at its prime. Leaders from all over the world would travel many, many miles to come and listen to Solomon speak. David had raised up the greatest army the world had ever seen. Solomon had more money than could ever be counted. He was building a temple and a palace. And if you were to think, okay, God is about to fulfill his promise, you would have thought that it would happen in the time of Solomon. Under Solomon's reign, God is going to fulfill his promise, and now the whole world will be blessed. Because the Israelites are on top. They're positioned to bless the world. But it doesn't happen. That kingdom, that powerful kingdom is torn in two. The nation is divided. There are wars. There are good kings and there are bad kings. And between the time of Solomon and Zechariah, the nation of Israel had changed hands over 20 times. It was a turbulent time. They were attacked and captured by their enemies and their surrounding neighbors. The temple was destroyed. And now, 2,000 years after this promise, the most powerful kingdom on earth is the Roman Empire. And the Israelites, many of them, have turned away. But a remnant, every generation holds on to hope. And they believe in something better. They believe that God is faithful and true. 
And now here comes John after 460 years of silence. And the angel says he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I think in this story, we can find a similar story in ourselves. How many of you are without hope? How many of you are discouraged? How many of you feel like God is not real anymore? That worship is just what you do because it's what you've been doing. You don't even pray anymore. When's the last time you've read the word in the Bible and you felt like you encountered the presence of God and the Holy Spirit was filling you with joy and conviction and illumination? Maybe you're on the verge of falling away, of literally giving up on God, giving up on Jesus. Maybe you're caught in a cycle of sin and you feel like a prisoner and God could not love you because of the guilt and the shame that you bear. Maybe all around you things are crumbling and splitting and dividing. And you don't know if God cares. And you've been praying and you've been praying and you've been praying. And you have no confirmation that God has heard those prayers. Christmas is the reminder and the answer that God has not forsaken us. Christmas is the answer and the fulfillment of the promise that God would bless all the people on earth through his son, Jesus. And John's message, his message on the repentance, on the forgiveness of sins, and the story of his life and his parents and their parents and their ancestors is meant to be a testimony to encourage you and me that we too are to remain faithful, that we are to hold tightly to God's truth and his word and his promise, that as we wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ, the way that we are to prepare ourselves is to live obediently, to repent of our disbelief or our sin, and to observe all of our Lord's commands, to live out our faith. How do we prepare for Christmas? How do we prepare for the coming of Christ? Look at the life of John. Look at the life of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Look at that long remnant of believers who held on for thousands of years. See, maybe the reason why we don't get excited about Christmas anymore is because all Christmas used to be was toys and gifts and surprises. And now that we've kind of outgrown that, it's just a holiday. It's just a religious holiday on the calendar. Maybe we have been putting our expectation and our hope in the wrong places. Maybe we need to put it in Jesus Christ again and, and live out our faith like Zechariah and Elizabeth and John and turn our hearts back to the Lord. 
Christmas is an opportunity for us to remember the amazing gift that God has given us through his son. And as we are the recipients of that gift, we are blessed by him. And our only proper response is to worship. Let's pray together. Father, may we be reminded that this season of Christmas is not just a time of giving and receiving gifts, but it's remembering that no matter where we are in our lives, no matter how difficult the journey, no matter how heavy the pain or the burden of trying to live a life of obedience to you, regardless of the affliction, the doubt, the frustration that we all experience in this fallen world, that you have given us your son Jesus as our Savior and our King. And Lord, that we can be reminded this time of the year to be encouraged, even if everything seems to be falling apart, even if we are without hope, even if we're panicking at this very moment, that you have given us your Son, and that through your Son we can be blessed, that through your Son we can receive your blessing, your grace, your love, that we can be forgiven of our sins, that we can be set free from the cycles of this world of slavery. Lord, may we remember that the birth of your Son is the birth of a new kingdom, a new rule, a new reign, and that we are called to be a part of it. And so, God, wherever we are, may Christmas remind us to keep our hearts set on that hope. But, Lord, even now, as we await the second coming, the returning of your Son, Jesus, may we hold fast to what it means to be your people and your disciples. May we continue to be a part of that remnant that loves you, that serves you, and that worships you. Lord, would you encourage us? Would you empower us? Would you enable us to celebrate your son again? We thank you for this reminder. We thank you for the gift of your son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.